the College Planning Edge. Multiply your odds of getting into your dream college and get your hands on thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships. Brought to you by Lockwood College Prep, helping college-bound families get the edge in college admissions, financial aid, scholarships, and test prep. I think we are just about as live as we're ever going to be. All right. Welcome. Hi. Welcome to our college Q&A. I'm A, she's Q, just kidding. Andy Lockwood, Pearl Lockwood, hello Pearl. Hello Andy, hello everyone. Are you ready for some Qs so we can give some A's? I'm ready. This is this is live and it is unscripted. And it's other than the fact that we have, um, up until we went to press, about 70 questions and they kept rolling in afterward. Uh, I promised that I would do my best to get everyone's questions who submitted them in the proper format um, 90 minutes before airtime. So I have a pile here. So let's see who's with us. Uh, please say hi in chat. Let us know where you're from. Also, let us know that you can hear us okay. Every once in a while, not lately, but every once in a while, there's a uh, glitch with sound or something. So hello, Esther. Uh, where are you from, Esther? <laughs> Um, and I see Pearl Lockwood. Okay. Is that really you? It is really me. You're typing next to me? Yes. That's so cool. Rich from Stony Brook. That you can multitask. Risa right. from Albertson. Nice. All right. Ruth, Ruth. also. Ruth, uh, I understand that Ruth's son had a big improvement on his ACT, by the way. Hello, Jane from Forest Hills. Mara, Silver Spring, Maryland. Carol East Northport, Stephen, guess who? Can't really guess. Um, Hi, Dina. Oh, Dina from the Garden City area. Got Frank and Huntington. All right, good. So you guys can all hear us, I assume. So this, uh, this, like I said, this format is we're gonna we're gonna zip right through these questions. I, I'm trying to somehow keep this to about an hour, although I, I don't really think that's realistic, but don't feel pressured to stay on. Um, I'm going to be transcribing this, editing it. We're probably gonna be adding some stuff also and making this into a book. And when that is um, published, which I committed to doing within 30 days publicly, um, then everyone who is on this broadcast will have the, um, the opportunity to get it, okay? Um, all right. Is there anything that you want to say kind of? Well, just uh, just anything. some housekeeping. If anybody has any trouble hearing our presentation or seeing the presentation, if it's, you should click uh, the reboot, um, not the reboot, just reconnect, the reconnect button. Um, also, make sure you have your other browsers shut down. That saps up a lot of bandwidth and could interfere with our presentation. All right. That was good to start with a little bit of housekeeping. Yes. So the reason we do these, these presentations, and we've cut back uh, a lot, I don't know if you've noticed, but we've, uh, is, is because this information just doesn't seem to get disseminated to parents the right way. So, so for example, sometimes it's really stupid stuff. Like our local high school has their financial aid night after, you know, like three weeks after kids apply for early, early action, early decision. You know, it's like dumb. Um, a lot of times they don't really encourage parents of uh, 10th or 9th graders to come to these college nights, which is also kind of dumb because if you think about it, the body of work that you are creating that's ultimately going to be judged 
when you apply to college in your, in your senior year starts at least in ninth grade, if not earlier. You might be in eighth grade taking advanced classes. So, uh, so we, we know this information is not getting out. So we have a bunch of these questions that we're going to zip through. And um, there's a couple that are re repeat questions. I, because we're transcribing this and making this into a book, I'm going to, I already uh, went through and attempted to, to sort of siphon out the financial aid slash scholarship questions from the admissions questions. Um, so we're going to go through all the money stuff first because that's about four out of every five. And then we'll go through the admission stuff, and then we'll uh, we'll pause and um, talk to you about how if you want to reach out to us uh, about you know one on one, um, just to see if the, you know if there's anything that because we did get, actually get a couple of questions about um, how we work and, and the cost and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'll tell you how to do that, uh, but that won't be until we get through uh, most of this stuff. Okay. So and if you okay and if, and if anyone has a question, how do they indicate that in the chat? There's like a toggle. There is a Q and A section. You, there is a toggle that has a question. Uh, you can question mark a question mark. So you yeah. can click on that, and that would take your question right to the Q and A section. Okay. And George is saying hi, George. Is that to yourself, George from Portland, Oregon? Hi, George. Hi, George. I don't know. How, I don't know what to make of that. Okay. Hi. Hi. <laughs> All right. All right. Here we go. Right into the questions. Enough. Wind enough up. wind up. Enough comedy jokes. <laughs> um, all right. This one's from James. Let's hear it. Financial, and we're going through financial aid first. How can you view your CSS profile to double check it once you have submitted it? Pearl. Okay. So your CSS profile, you would need your college board username and password to access it and then ultimately be able to file it. Um, so you would use your same college board login at the profile site to pull up your submitted document. When you're in that confirmation page, there is on the date of submission a little place that says save a copy and you would click on that spot that says save a copy and it will download a PDF of your submitted CSS. Pretty good answer for someone who's never actually filed the profile. Right? I brushed up. Okay. All right, question number two, and by the way, so, so I meant to mention this before, but I know people are coming on. If you have a question, the best thing to do is to put it in chat, but, but click on that question sort of icon because we're gonna stop and go through all of those. But if you don't flag it that way, it's going to be much harder for us to pick up the fact that you have a question, not, not a comment. Okay. All right. Next question is on scholarships from Debbie. Scholarships, where do we look for them? Let me answer that one, if I may. So the, I think the real question is, should you look for them? Uh, mm -hmm. Not where you should look for them. Because I've been in this field, I don't know, 18 or something years. I've heard about people cleaning up on these websites like FastWeb. That's one site that seems to be pretty reputable. Scholly. S-C-H-O-L-L-Y seems to be another site that people use a lot and don't really complain about. But I honestly don't really know anyone who, ha I've never come across anyone who's um, gotten enough from scholarships to justify the uh, hours that turn into days, weeks, and months down that rabbit hole. So, uh, so I'm sort of skeptical about them anyway. That you, I think what you turn up is a lot of solicitations and um, just kind of unwanted you know, overtures for stuff. However, that being said, uh, sometimes the local ones are, are the best. Or if you're if you have a parent who's in a union or something like that, they have employee sponsored scholarships. I think those are, are much higher and better use of your time 
exploring if anyone in the family has those. I was talking to a client today whose uncle is in the union and they might, might be able to get something. The, the final comment I want to make before we go to the next question is that if you're also going to qualify for need-based aid, which is really um, predicated on your resources that you have to pay for college, and then all of a sudden you come up with these other resources from these outside scholarships, you will, in most cases, reduce the award that you were entitled to from the college. So it's kind of a, you know, a waste of time. Okay. So that's what I'll say about scholarships. Okay. Colleen says, if a, if a college student wants to transfer or take a semester off, is financial aid jeopardized? You want to take a stab at that one? Okay. Uh, well, you do need to let your your loan servicer know if you are going to drop back from a full-time enrollment. Um, and once you do that, you're not in jeopardy. Every semester, or rather every year, is judged on its own financial aid-wise, but you do need to communicate and let uh, your financial aid officer know that you are making a change. So generally speaking, it should not affect any financial aid. In some specific cases where, for example, in New York State, they have the Excelsior program. If you do not meet a certain amount of credits within a calendar year, then that particular scholarship will turn into a loan and no longer be available to you had you completed the required amount of credits, for example. Okay. All right, next question, another financial aid question. I've heard you say, and this is from Carol, I've heard you say that you can negotiate additional aid after you get your award, like comparing what you receive from a competing college. How do you recommend that is done, phone call or email? We got a few questions <clears throat> along the same lines, so I'm going to answer that now, and I don't think I need to answer them later, but we'll see um, how different they are. So, so the answer is each college has its own way of uh, letting you appeal. Most of the time they want something reduced to writing in, in the way of a form that you file specifically for appeals. They don't call it negotiations, they call it appeals. So you wanna follow their, you know, each college's individual respective uh, way of doing this. And the next question, which I think is related to this is, you know, how, which, which I think is sort of, um, I don't know, assumed by, by your question, is on what basis can you appeal? And there's really three three ways. One one is um, if there is information they don't know about relating to your income. Did your, you know, for example, did your income change from the time two years in the past, which is when you filed, which is when you, um, you found information from your tax return to put on your financial aid forms. So we're recording this in uh, 2018. For kids who graduate 2019, the tax return that we're using is 2017 when Pearl does all the financial aid forms. In many cases, people um, have, you know, have seen a drop in income. So that's one example of a, a change in circumstances. Yeah. Another one could be unexpected expenses, unusual expenses. So I was talking to you today about a client who had, um, a, you know, fifty or sixty thousand dollars worth of repairs from a hurricane that, that ripped through um, their part of the country. It's actually this part of the country too, but we, we have clients in Houston and, and other places. Right. So that is that doesn't show up anywhere on the forms. That is definitely worth appealing. And the third, um, the third type of situation is when you have offers from other colleges that compete with your particular college. And the question of whether a college um, uh, competes, how do you figure that out? 
is sometimes it's kind of common sense colleges that are in the, in the same uh, conference or something athletic conference and sometimes it's not so obvious there isn't any database that i can tell you about but um you know colleges that are reputable in certain majors like maybe communications you know usc is great in communications so is syracuse so in a way they compete with each other but those are really the three the three types of uh, of appeals or negotiations um sometimes actually go ahead well i was gonna say sometimes parents you know they say, should, should we go down and meet with financial mm -hmm. aid or should we call them? You can do that. Depends. Some, it depends on your personality. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, but you can, you know, you, you really need to figure out what the college wants you to do and follow their procedure at, at the end of the day. And the other thing, uh, the other place you can look to for uh, just instruction in this area is your own school's website may provide some information on what they consider appealable issues and what's not considered appealable issues. Like I was on University of uh, Wisconsin today, their site, and they actually um, list out acceptable appeal reasons and they actually list out unacceptable appeal reasons like where you live, yeah. where you've chosen to live. You know, right. They, they, we pay a lot of taxes. Can we get more money from right. you? Right. And, and we, you know, we've heard everything appeal wise and people who are interested in appealing their awards from the most compelling situation to the most ridiculous and everything in between. You don't want to not that we judge. Frust no, no, this is not about judgment. It just exists. And then how successful or not you're going to be with that appeal. Um, remains to be seen and you don't necessarily although we've seen it rarely to infrequently but we cannot say never where we've seen them actually change the award to the negative um meaning they've actually reduced money reduced money that they were giving you that's because um, they discovered something funky that, that the client had done from on upon advice from somebody else we don't even know Right. So you want to be somewhat cautious about what you may think is very, very important, maybe very de minimis in, in a financial aid officer's eyes, when, of course, they are going to be reading side by side with very other compelling stories. Got it. You got to pass the giggle test yep. or the eye roll test. All right. Exactly. Next financial aid question comes from Jordan. This has Pearl written all over it. I started the FAFSA. Okay. Congrats. Ding. <laughs> and had all the info that was available automatically transferred from the IRS website for certain questions. Is that enough to submit the FAFSA? In other words, do I have to answer all the questions that are not available to transfer directly from IRS? Yes, you do. Okay. The IRS DRT data retrieval tool is something is going to, is needed because the schools want confirmation of that happening so that they can rely on the tax information submitted. Um, but there are a whole host of other questions that are asked on the FAFSA besides just the uh, tax information. And when that in information gets dumped into your FAFSA, you can't see it, right? You can't see it. You can't alter it. No. Well, that's, and that's why that's why they do it that way. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, all right. Next financial aid question. I know college applications need to be submitted by the deadlines, but do all financial aid items such as FAFSA and CSS profile need to be submitted by the college application deadlines as well. Great question. That's from Lisa. Okay, Lisa. And she says she sure misses our YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't realize that they weren't being um, they weren't being published to YouTube. 
Huh. So I'm, we'll I asked my that. well, I asked my assistant about that, and she got some sort of evasive answer. But talk about the deadlines. Okay, so there are application deadlines, and there are priority financial aid deadlines. Each school has its own priority financial aid deadline, depending on how you're applying to that school. If you're applying early action or early decision, you may have one priority financial aid deadline that may or may not be the same as your application deadline. Best place to check is the school's own website for when your priority deadline is for financial aid and follow it. There isn't one universal deadline. You gotta right. check them all. Correct. All right, so if you're just joining us, welcome to College Q&A. And if you have a Q that you want us to A, then <laughs> the best thing to do is enter it in chat and then click on that little, it's like a three dot thingy that changes. It's, it flags uh, your comment as a question and we will pick them up shortly after we get to these next 285 questions. Okay, uh, next, and, and right now we're in the middle of financial aid questions. So Audrey wants to know, how how does interest, oh no, this is, ooh, this is not a financial aid question. I messed up. Audrey, we'll get back to you, sorry. Donna, I'm a single mom of three children and we've been almost fully abandoned by my children's dad. We were, we were a wealthy family living on the North Shore of Long Island just a few years ago and I was pretty sure my children would do well and attend Ivy League schools like their dad. Sadly, life threw us a very big curveball and I'm now left with a ton of legal debt and a job that's not paying all the bills. I've now begun working four jobs, wow, trying to see which one will be the winner and afford me to raise my three kids. Unfortunately, I'm in a time crunch. I have a junior, a sophomore, and a seventh grader. My question is, where do I start? I have no idea what to do for my junior now that I'm on my own in debt and want so badly to give my children the best at succeeding. No pity party here. I know we will be fine. That's, that is true. And my that children will do great things in life. But I'm dying for some advice on where to begin. Right now, I'm like a deer in headlights and frozen with fear. Thank you. All right. So, so sorry to hear that. Yeah. And um, thanks for the question. I guess that's a combination financial aid and admissions question. Uh, I'll take a stab at it. Yeah. And then you want to uh, chime in. So um, depending on your income, which if you're working four jobs, I'm sure it's not nothing, but it's probably on the low side. The, your best bet is probably um, in terms of affording college might actually be from the most expensive colleges that have the biggest endowments those so so ultimately you want to construct a list that has expensive colleges that are generous like ivy league and other types of schools as well as you know some financial safeties like suny colleges since you're in new york you will qualify sounds like you'll qualify for the merits the excelsior program mm -hmm. it's not merit i keep saying that Right. But it's, in, it's if your income is less than one hundred twenty-five thousand, you qualify for free tuition, which yes. might be seven or eight thousand. Yeah. So I would—that's a good mix of schools. One thing that's possibly going to um, to, to help you if there is a silver lining is that um, admissions officers really care a lot about um, overcoming obstacles. And it sounds like, without much exaggeration or artistic license, like some kids have to use. Your kids really have that. So that is going. That's a character thing. That is a that is a big deal. Uh, I don't know if anyone has has paid attention to the Harvard lawsuit where they were sued, you know, for affirmative action. And one of the interesting things to me uh, was that they had to release a chunk of their admissions handbook for their admissions officers into evidence, which I immediately, you know, uh, eagerly uh, you know, read through. And um, so much of that handbook is about non-academic stuff, including character. 
So if you know your kids have great grades and, and they're high achieving kids, then they have a shot at these types of schools because they all really care about character. Even if they're not, you know, Harvard type of, of material, they they still should apply to school private colleges that have uh, uh, high sticker prices and probably are very generous. That's where I would start. Do you have anything you want to add? I mean, I could probably go on and on, but yeah. I want to get through everyone else here. No, I think you covered it. Um, you know, the the we, we pick colleges based on how you know what majors kids are interested in. So that's a whole nother you know sort of angle. But I that's probably um, not as pressing for you, but it, it is important. So some schools are more reputable than others in, di in different types of areas. But don't rule out the high the expensive colleges. Those those might actually be the best deal for you. And particularly when you have your um, 11th and 10th grader in school at the same time for three years, they'd be even more eligible. Okay. All right, uh, so next one, next financial aid question. Okay, <clears throat> this is for Pearl. So we use our 2017 income and tax info when completing the 2019-2020 FAFSA. What is the best way to handle a change in current income, right? Yes. Um, for example, FAFSA asks about child support received, and I received a nice amount in 2017 that I duly reported, but it ends this year, so it will not be part of my available resources for the 2019-2020 school year. Okay. So we kind of covered that a little bit. Yeah, so basically in short, um, this is one of the three scenarios that Andy mentioned earlier about appealing an award when you're current, um, meaning when you hear financial aid awards will be in the sometime in the winter to spring of 2019, to the extent that that your spring 2019 financial reality is different than your submitted 2017 income tax return is a bona fide appeal. So you would bring that information. There's nothing to do or to amend or to affect on the FAFSA itself. You are bound by the 2017 tax return. However, understand that you're going to file it. And for those schools that also require the CSS profile, there is a place to provide your expected 2018 and 19 income where you can illustrate really how the income is declining. And there is a, a provision for an explanation special where circumstances. special circumstances where you can indicate how the change of income is um, what the change of income is from 2017 to 2019. Because otherwise it's not reflected in the boxes, right, so it's to not, speak. Right, so now if you are applying to a FAFSA-only school, you're still bound by the 2017 information, including the child support you received in that isolated year. And then after you get a financial aid award from all of the schools, you would appeal to the school that you're looking to go to um, and you would provide that explanation of change of income. So I'm just looking through the chat here, and you know what we have? You know what we have a lot of here? No. A lot of Catholics. <laughs> we have um, a lot of people asking about uh, what a, what's a Jesuit, the Jesuit school, schools. and we're getting answers back. So that's great. I appreciate that. that well, that's great. Jesuit right. schools are, are generous. Right. I, I refer to them loosely as the Holy Twelve. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm worried that this broad, our broadcasts are a little too Jewishy. so it's, it's nice to see this um, playing out. We're here. an equal opportunity financial. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to talk about Muslim schools. Um, okay, so next, well, let me check that one off, and that will be cut from the book, the transcription, my, my dumbass comment. Okay, um, 
Okay. We're transcribing Everybody's this and, here. and making this into a book. If, if you're just joining us, you will get a copy of it once we produce it and you'll get a deal, you'll get a discount. Um, okay, Julie, how do colleges that require CSS profile treat small businesses that have a net worth of $500,000? How does this impact EFC? Let me take a stab at that one. Okay, so, so there's really two things to talk about. Julie didn't mention the FAFSA. Most businesses on the FAFSA uh, have a zero net worth, just, just most of them, okay? Um, and just to back up, in general, there are two main forms that schools might ask you to file if you want financial aid. Every college in the country takes the FAFSA. About 400 colleges require the CSS profile. In addition to the FAFSA, CSS profile is much more complicated and invasive and detail-oriented, especially when it comes to small businesses and some other stuff. So if... You know, there's different ways to value a business, and I am certainly not an investment banker. We both practice law. I, I was a corporate lawyer at one point. I kind of know enough about that stuff to make me dangerous. So my first sort of question to you in response to your question is, how do you know the business is actually worth $500,000? So maybe there's ways to lowball. The next thing to, to note is that um, in many cases, the value of a CSS profile business or business on the CSS profile is haircut or, or discounted somehow and there's no published formula that's the frustrating thing for the css profile or, or what we call the institutional methodology the way there is for the fafsa or the federal methodology so this is a long-winded but complete way of telling you that it'll it'll count against you but not the same as if that money was in an individual's name or that asset was in an individual's name it is either discounted to zero sometimes or to a fraction of whatever it would cost. I've been to conferences where I've asked this question to um, you know, the college board reps who, you know, who are behind the CSS profile and all I ever really get is we discount it, we don't count it the same dollar for dollar as if it was in a parent's name. Okay, moving along, Lisa. My child received an acceptance letter to, college, to a college of her choice offering her almost half tuition for all four years from merit scholarships. What can we expect to find out? I'm sorry, when can we expect to find out what she is eligible for from FAFSA? How will we find out from the college? Thank you, Lisa. Pearl. Okay. So Pearl. FAFSA, one misnomer. People often say, when do I find out what I'm getting from FAFSA? FAFSA is not a bank and they don't provide money for college. What FAFSA does- It's like saying, what am I getting from 1040? Exactly. You're getting the ability to pay taxes. Anyway. Awesome, thanks. You, when, um, when you file the FAFSA, the FAFSA form determines what the federal government feels your family can contribute for one year of college. Not to be confused with, that's what I'm going to pay for college. That's not true. Your EFC is just a formula that determines federal eligibility for aid. And it is a starting point for the schools you apply to, to begin preparing a financial aid award package for the student. Some schools do it one way and some schools do it another way and other schools do it yet another way. Every school does their own financial computation slightly differently. They, there is no promulgated 
formula for each school. It just, they take the FAFSA number and they then put it in their own hopper to come out with a financial aid award letter that will be in part, depending on your circumstances, cobbled together of many things totaling the cost of attendance. It can be part loans, part need-based aid, part merit-based aid, work study, a whole variety of uh, elements comprising your cost of attendance. Okay, so then, so the the big part of the question was when can we expect to find out was she's oh. eligible for from FAFSA? So it's okay. not coming so, from FAFSA so itself. Not, so you're going to be finding out from your school, and depending on how you applied to the school, will generally uh, give some indication as to when you'll hear. But again, like in crayon, it, like if pen? if you find out if you applied early action or uh, early decision to uh, a school then you are likely to hear both an admission decision as well as a financial aid decision in the December, January range. If it is a regular applied school, then you're likely to hear closer towards March, April. Each school is going to communicate differently about your financial aid award letter. Sometimes it will accompany the admissions letter. Sometimes it will come weeks after the admissions letter. Sometimes it'll come in an email. Sometimes a school will have issued you login to their own website that they expect you to log into and check their missing requirements or updates section in the in their portal. It all is different and you just got to know what your particular school um, does. You can also as a belt and suspenders, you can call up the financial aid office at, at any of the schools you've applied to and say, when can I expect to receive a financial aid award letter so yeah that's a, and maybe they don't have everything you filed too so it's another good reason to reach out to them <laughs> yes okay here we go so we are making progress but we have a lot left here okay. i'm a little if, low if, if you well it's not it's not no but there's but there's no wasted no no wasted verbiage yes. um we just have a lot to get through here okay so if you're just joining us, we are going through all the financial aid questions that we received by deadline uh, first, and then I, I feel like we should break this into two webinars because I don't see how we're going to get through this. We could do that. I guess we could. Well, let's see how we do. Um, all right. Tracy asks, if we take money out of our daughter's savings account, will it be questions? It would be nice for her to repay us for the MacBook she needs for AP art classes and college. Um, I think it would be nice, too. <laughs> so, uh, so I'll, I'll answer this question. Um, anything you do is subject to being verified. So it's possible, but something like what you're saying is extremely unlikely. I wouldn't worry about it. They could say something like, you know, well, what happened to all that money? And if you, you, know, you spent two grand on a MacBook or something, it's easy. So don't, don't worry about it. Um, generally speaking, money in a, in a kid's name will reduce your eligibility in a, a far greater uh, punishment in a much more punitive way than if it was in your name, but you may not even qualify for need based aid because your income, you know, is, a, is is more important. So I don't want to get bogged down on that because that's we're, we're kind of again pressed for time here. Okay, Elizabeth, well, this is a good one. Please finally solve the mystery for me as to why some families qualify for financial aid with two incomes, while others do not. Single mom receiving no child support and alimony, and as a teacher with a legitimate W-2 form. Just doesn't make sense to me. Private school versus public school versus Catholic school, dot, 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 dot. Um, the, the, the fastest explanation, I think, is that 
colleges are, they vary in terms of their generosity. Some schools are more generous than others. So um, there's other moving factors, moving parts that have nothing to do with what you said, such as how badly a particular college wants a kid. There's a lot mm -hmm. of preferential packaging. And then there's the need-based financial aid formulas, which are based on how much money you make and all that, but that's that's only part of it. So there, there's other things that may not be in your control. That's that's the bottom line. So it really depends on how uh, matching your child up with a set of schools that are a good fit in many different areas, including whether you're likely to get aid. Okay, next question is from Risa. This is a Pearl one, financial aid question. Can I fill out the FAFSA without my son getting access to the form? My assets are none of his damn business. Um, and then she wants to know about, well, answer that question first and then. I'll Technically the student is supposed to be filling out the form. It is, in fact, they've gotten really strict about who the, the autonomy of that form. It, it belongs to the student and the student is supposed to be filling it out. And the parent can have your, your own readable copy, but, you know, technically that's not the way you're supposed to be doing it. Yeah, if you read the regulations, it, it, they're stupid and, and they're scary, but they are the regulations that say that the student is supposed to log in and do all this stuff and the parent also and they're not, and never the twain shall meet and all that. In practice, do people follow that, regu that regulatory directive? Mm -hmm. We are public and on the air here. Let's just leave that question dangling. Float. Yeah. Um, and then there's another question here that other people have answered. So I'm going to give Risa two questions here. Um, is the FAFSA and merit-based scholarships, are they two different applications? So here's the deal. Um, many schools want you to file the financial aid forms, FAFSA and CSS profile, if applicable, in order to be considered for merit. Generally speaking, most of the time there is no separate applications for merit scholarships from colleges, generally speaking. However, today, as a matter of fact, I was looking at an essay from a client of ours who's applying for one of the full ride scholarships at Duke. Mm -hmm. So some, and Wash U is another school that has separate uh, scholarship applications. Sometimes they're honors colleges and scholarship applications. So it's, it's, it does happen occasionally where we're going to need to fill out a separate uh, scholarship application, but for the most part, you're considered automatically because the college admissions office looks at your kids' grades and scores and other um, f other features and decides to offer them money to entice them to come. And, and actually, there's more merit money out there than need-based money, so just which, which surprises a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so if you don't qualify for need-based, don't trust. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So this is an admission. Oh, look at this. Look who asked us this question. It's our neighbor, Avian Salvatore, who lives Yay. lives uh, uh, on the same block as the studio here, right? Just just a yeah, we could have had stones throw from the from the studio as a live studio audience yeah. member. Yeah. So, but but you have an admissions question, so we have to skip that. Okay. Sorry. Okay. A little bit of a tease. Um, all right. So, okay. So, Kristen, this was just addressed but not answered specifically. If I won't qualify for FAFSA or for financial aid, do I need to fill out the FAFSA? In most cases, no, but for many colleges, yes. So NYU, New York University, Fordham, uh, Ithaca, there's, there's a bunch of schools that require you to fill out the forms for merit. So you may want to you may want to check with your list or just file it just because um, you never know. You never know. Exactly. Got to be in it to yeah. win it. And, and the list can change every year too. So we don't keep a database yeah. of it. And so we can't possibly do that. Um, all right. 
just watching. Amy? Yeah. From the, uh, is she in our house? She, no, but okay. we should invite her next Okay. Um, all right, Di Diana Marie. My husband, this is a financial aid question. My husband turns 51 in December. I'll be 50. I heard more parent assets are protected if a parent is 51 plus. Should I wait to file the financial aid until he's 51? Does it matter that I'll be 50 for most of the next year? All right, I'll answer that one. What you're talking about is something called the asset protection allowance, which is which generally speaking means that the older you are, the less of your savings is penalized. I don't know if that's grammatical, but that's yeah. the way it works. It's that asset protection allowance used to be about a thousand dollars per year of age. Now it's like a quarter of that. Yeah. It is. It is. It, it's. It's, it's a. It's a secret regressive tax yes um there's right. no strategy for applying whether you're young or old because they look at your birth date so uh so don't don't worry about it you can't change your age either yeah you look great for your age also okay oh that was another by the way that was another um uh question that a correction of our, our client that sent us corrections on one of your financial aid forms mm. there, there were two oh, corrections yeah. one was um that you made her two years younger and the second one was that um, you said she had a million dollars in in retirement and not uh, one hundred seventy five thousand. I said that. So I said, "So Pearl made you younger and richer." She's like, "Yeah, that was great. That? Yeah, okay, I'll take it." She was very happy, actually. Right. But but actually, cautionary tale: the yeah. reason why the birth date was wrong was because the CPA on the tax return put it wrong, and I used the, the tax return to as my lead to match, you know, to make sure all the address and the biographical data is correct. I cannot, if I had a dollar for every mistake I've seen on a tax return in birth dates or in interposed social security numbers. Transposed. Transposed, that too. Interposed, yeah. transposed. Any posing. Any posing yeah. of any kind. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It would be like, uh, right. That's an excuse, Pearl. Okay, so um, next question <laughs> comes from... Don't All be, of them. Don't, don't be angry. I'm not going to Don't angry. file angry. I won't file angry. Um, Kenneth, if your present income eliminates you from consideration for, from financial aid, but you plan to retire in two months, how does that impact your ability to get aid in the future? Probably will not help you this year, but could help you next year, but I would file. And you're setting precedent, and this way they, have, they, they can see that next year. But um, it, financially, it's very much based on the here and now or what yes. happened two years ago, not what's going to happen in the future. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Jocelyn, financial aid question. How do I get the most out of a college for scholarships after they have made an offer? So I just I addressed that pretty much a little bit earlier about how to negotiate. You play them off against each other. Um, I would show your top choice college the other offers in a very nice way and say, you're my first choice school, but we did get these other offers. Is there any way that you could match or exceed? Because if you do, 100% committed to rushing in my housing deposit. That's the gist of it. I don't, I don't want to go into too much here in the interest of time. Um, all right, let me just take a break here. So can you put up the uh, – I, I, I want to talk to you about um, – we're going to continue here, but I just want to take a, a commercial break and talk to you about how you can um, talk to us one-on-one. -on -one. There's only one offer. So, what is that what you're asking me? No, you want me to put it up now? Yeah, put it no, just, just because it's been almost an hour or so. All right. Um, so, we had this membership. I, I, we're, really, we're too busy. Again. I've, got, I've gotten really tired of um, you know, getting a lot of, hey, can I pick your brain for a minute? Because those turn into like a, a two-hour conversation sometimes. So, 
we're not we're not doing any free consultations anymore unless you were referred directly by, by someone or if you live on a block <laughs> well amy <laughs> not walter yeah. although he's a fellow soccer flagman. really yeah there long, was a long fraternity story. between you yeah so we're gonna get that out of the book also the transcription so um anyway so we have this membership that is normally $97 a month. There's a coupon code that's good for uh, for the next few days. Um, that'll give you half off this membership. <clears throat> so it's 48 bucks a month and you can stop anytime. But what that gives you is access to our monthly coaching group, client Q&A. You can get all your, your personal questions answered. They aren't nearly as large as this group tonight. Um, in addition, you get all kinds of other bonuses, including a free one hour deep dive college planning meeting, which is basically a longer consultation than we ever offered before, where I'm gonna review your income, your savings, uh, I can meet with your your kid, look at their extracurricular activities, college list, all that type of stuff. Um, monthly um, subscription to our college planning edge newsletter, which is a written newsletter, it doesn't get clogged up in your email box. Uh, and that is, that is a way for you to make sure you never miss a deadline. We hear this so many times oh where uh, I heard this today and I, I got emails over the weekend about families who wish that they had signed up for the subject test or how come no one told me about this? My guidance counselor should have explained this to me, you know, that, that type of stuff. So you'll never blow an opportunity or miss out on a deadline if you are a member of our inner circle, this, uh, this membership that, that we have. Um, on top of that, you know, when you're a senior, you get a complimentary review and critique of your essay, and there's some other benefits, and you can read it. Uh, you can read about it here if you want or not. It's totally up to you. But um, we we stacked a lot of value here, and these bonuses that are only good, you know, for people who sign up who are on this webinar. This is not available to the general public, and um, I, you know, I try to make it as uh, as valuable as possible. I think I think the value far exceeds, frankly, what we're charging. Oh, and our software. It also includes our, our secret software so that funny. I only use for our, our private one on one clients who pay us between ten to twenty thousand dollars for the one on one advice. This is this kicks Naviance's butt. It was made yeah. by a former admissions officer from uh, Princeton University. He was there for thirty years and it factors in twenty or twenty five considerations that admissions officers look at when you apply to college. Whereas what most high schools use, Naviance, it looks at two things, your grades and your scores. And it only compares you against other kids from your high school as opposed to um, our software, which looks at everyone that was admitted previously from the whole world. It's unbelievable to me, the fact that it only compares, Naviance only compares you to your own high school. That's absurd. Yeah, it is okay. absurd. So this is only privately available. So if you read about it, I, th I think it's a great deal. And um, that's all I'm gonna say. Okay, now moving along to next financial aid question. Um, should you fill out the FAFSA if you don't qualify for my lien? Yes, we talked about that. All right, Krista, is sending my FAFSA or CSS profile to each school my kids applying to all I need to do to apply for aid, or do I then need to fill out an application at each school separately? No, no you don't, unless they ask. Right, so be on the lookout. The, the bulk of financial aid merit and need-based is triggered by the filing of the FAFSA and the CSS profile if you're applying to a school that requires the CSS profile. That being said, some schools, and I could name a few, will have an additional institutional supplement that they may need you to complete as well in addition. For example, and, and sometimes there's not much to it, but it is a requirement. For example, BC has like a one pager 
Boston College. Boston College that you also need to complete and submit to indicate that you're applying for aid. Penn, University of Pennsylvania has its own independent Penn financial supplement that in many ways mirror images a lot of the questions that are asked on the CSS, but again, that school has that particular requirement. And if you are seeking aid, you need to do that too. And there are a couple other schools as well that, that do that. Good. All right, Ronnie. When should I start working on my financial aid forms? Well, they are released in October of senior year. However, in terms of strategizing and planning and optimizing, you really, if, if you're doing it two years ahead of time, that's almost too late. It can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, there might be some last minute things you can do in your senior year, but the best time to plan is before that base income year, which is two years prior or prior prior. Prior prior. Not to be confused with Richard prior. David, is there an income? Okay, this this question we get this all the time. Yep. I'm gonna put a star here. Uh, David, is there an income threshold? Which not not to mean that you. This is not a good question. This is a great question. Is there an a income? Star. Is there an yes? <laughs> not a bronze. Is there an income threshold in which there will not be a likelihood of getting need based financial aid? No, believe it or not, there is no magic number that if you go over it, you're knocking yourself out of the box. There isn't. And the reason for that is because there are 77 plus factors that determine your eligibility, including your age, including number of children in college at the same time, Mm -hmm. including whether your money is saved in your child's name versus your parents' name and a lot of other stuff. But those are the main ones. All right. Next financial aid question here. Nicole, is it true that under certain circumstances I can get a private school's tuition of, say, $60,000? down to near the cost of a state school. She said New York state school, but this applies for anyone. The answer is that, yeah, the answer is yes, that that it is possible, depending on which colleges you apply to, because the private expensive colleges tend to be the ones that discount the most. And the average discount nationally is almost 50% off. It's like 49.6%. So it's it's not unrealistic to get down near a state school. Mm In other words, don't rule out an expensive private school because you think that's what you're going to have to pay. That's ticket price. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. This is a combo. So I'm, going to, uh, so I'm going to hold off on that one. All right, Jill. My husband has been laid off since March 2018, but the FAFSA uses information from 2017. Is there a way to include this new situation in our FAFSA, Pearl? Uh, same way, uh as described before, unfortunately, you cannot change the rules for, of financial aid forms. You do well, need okay. to still use your 2017 income uh, income tax return as your income on the FAFSA. And then after you get an award that's based on that, you would appeal the award based on this new different information that Change in changes circumstances. your circumstances as to finances. Okay. All right, Dawn. I haven't started the FAFSA process, and I don't know where to begin. My son is a senior in high school. Okay. You begin by going on the FAFSA website, which is fafsa.gov. Um, if you want to talk to us privately about you know, our, um, our services, then I would, the way to do that is to sign up for our, our membership, and then you get a discount on our, on our services. But it's fafsa.ed.gov. I think if you go to .gov, it'll still is go it? there. Try it. Come on, challenge me. Um, all right. Next question, financial aid question, is from Lore. If a college's 
What? You're right. What'd you say? You're right. Okay. Um, if a college's offer letter says a scholarship must be used at a certain time, fall semester after high school, is it ever actually negotiable? Everything's negotiable. Everything. <laughs> yeah. So try it. Yeah. Can't hurt. All right. Mara, is it worth it to compel our daughter to apply to two small liberal arts colleges that she really doesn't want to go to, but is a very strong candidate for, or she's a very strong candidate for, in the hopes that they'll offer a better financial aid package that we can, Pearl, yet, that we can either take, she'd be unhappy, but they're good schools and she'd survive, or use to negotiate better terms at one of the larger universities she's much more interested in. I guess my question is, do you think that the bigger universities in the Midwest, South, Northeast, really consider smaller Eastern liberal arts colleges to be competition and thank you. The answer is, I don't think that those schools are going to be swayed by a, an easier to get into private liberal arts school offer, but I like the way you're thinking and there's no downside to doing it. And sometimes, you know, kids fall in love with the schools that they didn't initially, uh, you know, like, right? Yes. So, so good and, to do that. And there have been far, worse reasons people have applied to schools than that to get a uh an offer an, an offer yeah. that they could possibly use to negotiate yep. yes yep so, like like a sticker yep Can't <laughs> that they want uh, all right peter our daughter has been receiving social so a social security benefit every month ever since my wife turned 62 and started collecting her own money my wife has been saving her cds do we have to list that on the fafsa at all yes yes Yes, you do. CDs are listed. Robert, how oh, how much do you charge for your services? Um, I'm pretty sure I'm at a loss this whole college process. So the best way to do it is to sign up for our Inner Circle membership, and then you'll get discounts on everything, um, including, forms, including prep. forms prep, which is normally, uh, as of the date of this webinar, $1,700 plus a monthly fee. You would not pay the monthly fee, and you would get a discount. And off that, that includes appealing, right? Yeah, it's in loan paperwork right. and everything. Yep. Okay, so that was not really a financial aid question, but um, it sort of was. All right, John uh, asks, American living abroad, senior applying now to colleges, how to apply to, for scholarships in state rates when we don't live there? The answer is focus on the colleges that are the most generous. Don't, don't, don't waste your time applying for scholarships. Um, we just had a client who's Australian receive a $6,000 a year award from a uh, big state school mm -hmm. in Arizona. Yeah. I think it was University of yes, Arizona. Yes. Yeah. So many times you're going to be, um, you're going to be considered automatically because of that international status, even if you're U.S. citizen living abroad. Mm -hmm. She actually lives in the United States, but she's an Australian citizen right. and she got an international scholarship. Um, Sheila, my mother took out a custodial uniform transfer to minor account, UTMA. You, you, Atma, to my, <laughs> for my daughter about 10 to 15 years ago. Will this account affect my daughter's financial aid application next year when she applies for college? Daughter is in 11th grade and my mother is in her late 80s with dementia. Oh, sorry. Um, thank you. Um, yes, anything that has your kid's name on it counts as a child asset. So that is not necessarily a good place for that, for that money. Brad, what landmines exist when it comes to negotiating a better merit award other than money? What other perks can you negotiate with the school? Um, it's either money or indirectly in-state versus out-of-state tuition, you know, which, which to me is money. So um, 
the landmines are really if you come on too strong yeah. and you are too aggressive yeah. and you rub them the wrong way I don't know if that's really a landmine. Yeah, no, nope, that's the first thing I was thinking of when you said the word landmine. Yeah. Your personality yeah, could yeah, yeah. be a deal ender. Yeah. Right? So the fact that you're asking this means that you're probably not that type of guy. Right. So so that's fine. Um, I don't think there really are many other landmines other than attitude related. Yeah. yeah. Right. And you have to be mindful of the fact that what's personal to you as a difficulty, you have to view it in the context of the fact that whoever the listener is going to be seeing circumstances of all walks and, and shapes and sizes. And the less significant, objectively, your own circumstances are, you know, the less hope you're going to, you know, the less you're likely to be successful with that kind of appeal. I kind of petered out there. <laughs> I did peter out. <laughs> okay. All right, Elisa, in your in your experience, how much can you negotiate as far as merit aid at out-of-state schools? The answer is a little bit, but not a lot, but, but it's always worth trying. Rose, if my 2018 earnings are significantly below my 2017 earnings, how and when do I form the colleges before or after we receive the decision? I would try both if you're filing the CSS profile, but the bulk of that argument will be after. Stephen, for twins who are seniors, what is the combination of salary and non-retirement assets that would exceed the limit to receive a substantial amount of aid? Okay, so I'll give you a rule of thumb here. Um, the answer is that if you are applying to private colleges and you have two kids in college, whether they're twins or not, I think you start to get less eligible in the 270 to 300 range. Once you phase out, then it gets a lot harder. Assets just take 5% of your amount that you have that's included, which is basically non-retirement assets in your name, and take that 5% and that that's what gets added to your expected family contribution. So that, that's how I would figure it out. There's no, I can't give you a magic number because it's formulaic, right? It's, but it's 5% of the assets. If, it's a, if the money's in your kid's name, it's a lot higher percentage, it's like 25%. So, um, but then income wise, you know, if, you're, if you have two kids in college at a private school, you can, you, you can get close to that number, but state schools, Forget about it. You have to have a very low income. Um, all right. Rika. There seems to be a standard way to appeal your aid. Often you fill out a form and submit either more financial aid forms or submit comparable schools with awards. Is there any other way to negotiate a better financial aid award? Nope. Only what the college tells you to do. Yep. And it's really about what it's really about the substance of your argument, not necessarily the style. Okay. Um Dina, all right. We have four kids in college this September. How do we get some money? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think Vinny's got to quit his, just quit working. I think you're, you know, he's, his problem is that he works really hard and makes a good living. That's, that's really it. And you know, the rest of the, seriously, um, four kids in college at the same time under normal circumstances would, would qualify you for some need-based aid at private colleges. But Everyone's situation is different. Everyone's income and savings and all that is different. And that's, you know, that's, that's in, in a nutshell without reveal, revealing anything, you know, confidential. That's really, you know, that's, that's really what you're up against. Um, most of the time, affluent families will get merit scholarships from schools that really want their, uh, you know, want those kids. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, Rachel, how to get financial aid when your EFC is higher than the tuition? Yeah, it's it's merit or some sort of special circumstances, right. but most of the time it's merit. Michelle, why might a private school be a better deal? 
because they discount more, potentially, um, than, than a state school that doesn't have money. All right, David, for dual income parents who earn too much to get any meaningful free aid, is it okay for the college-bound child to file their own tax return as an independent and show a lower income and all that? It's not going to make a difference if you have your, just because you're having your student file his or her own tax return independently, that does not mean they are independent for financial aid purposes. Being declared an independent is is actually a very specific term of Legal. legal term that and in fact, in order to be considered independent, you either need to be homeless, um, have been declared so by a court of law. You support yourself. Yeah, you prove you support yourself. Exactly. Yeah. And it can't just be like, I'm independent, you know? Yeah. No. Um, by the way, on a related note, and this is something that um, we actually did with Dina, is that uh, if you're self-employed, right. you may want to shift money out of your name and into your child's income because you'll, you'll be taxed at a lower tax rate and therefore pay less in taxes. And that's a way to free up money. It's got nothing to do with financial aid, but everything to do with saving money, right. freeing, freeing up money. So that's a very common t- type of thing that we talk about with our clients. Okay, um, Albert, uh, sorry for being greedy. I, I'm, I can only answer one. Under the, under the section of parents' assets on CSS profile, it asks if the parent is the beneficiary of a trust. Mm-hmm. Since I haven't or won't get anything from it until my dad passes, do I still have to show the trust on the CSS filing? Pearl? Not if it is, if it's just hype, because if you predecease your father, then there is no right to that right now. So since it is not a present interest in the trust. So they ask about trust on the on both forms. And then are they specific and say, just tell us if you have a present interest or do they say, are you the beneficiary and then explain? Well, on the CSS profile, it will, well, okay. It can come up a few different ways. It can ask you uh, on uh, the CSS profile for, right. If you have an active trust, they'll want to know the amount in that trust. So if it doesn't exist yet for you and your rights have not ripened in that trust, then you would not include that trust. On the other hand, there is, they will ask some follow-up questions. Is any of the income, I'm sorry, is any of the principal amount available to the student? Yes or no? And then uh, then there's a section called the supplemental questions section that specific schools have asked questions above and beyond what's contained in the normal CSS profile. So schools that require the CSS profile have the opportunity to ask additional supplemental questions. And we also have found that in those supplemental questions, there are additional questions about trusts. Specifically, is any family member, not just the student, or any family member, the beneficiary of a trust? What type of trust, et cetera? There may be a few questions asking for details about the trust. Could be care about your ability to use it. Right. right. Yeah. So I just saw some people joining us in our inner circle. So I wanted to uh, this. I just saw Sarah. Uh, so welcome, Sarah, for joining. And uh, I'm just going to move along here. Okay. Um, Dawn, what should I consider when looking for a parent or student loan? Do I need to apply for a loan for each year of school or are most loans renewable? And then there's some other questions. And then thank you for doing this and caring about the middle class. I thoroughly enjoyed your book, How to Pay Whole Stuff for College. Um, thank you, Dawn. And she's a registered nurse from Boston. 
Um, so yeah, so thank you for the comments. All right, so so you do have to reapply every year for loans. I don't think it's a is the credit thing if you're getting a parent loan each time or do they just yes. renew it? You have to redo repull credit every time. Repo, yes, in fact, right. So it is not income based. The the federal loan that a the student can get in the first year, a student can get a federal loan of fifty five hundred dollars. Sophomore year goes to sixty five hundred dollars, and for junior and senior year, the student can take out seventy five hundred dollars in his or her own name. The rest of whatever is owed to the school to make up the cost of attendance can be satisfied by a parent loan, a parent plus loan. And the, the one that's through the government, the parent plus loan, is not an income based loan. It is rather it's a credit based loan. So as long as your credit is basically intact, um, you should Which not. Which means no foreclosures no, or defaults. Right. Exactly. Bad, tax really liens, right. Um, then you should qualify, and it's not a matter of how much. It's a matter of do you want to specify a dollar amount, or do you want to borrow the amount up to the cost of attendance? But it's done for one calendar year for for the academic school year of nineteen twenty for next year. Um, in terms of where to look for loans, so that's the parent loan. It's it's on. It's a it's part of the Department of Education. There also are private lenders. Underwriting is much more rigorous. Right. Um, you can go to your local credit union. That's a good idea. Um, Discover, Sally May, yeah. a bunch of other places, including simpletuition.com. That's a website that has bidding, yeah. I guess. The other benefit of the government loan is the payment terms. You do not need for student and parent uh, federal loans. You need not make any payments until six months after graduation. So it gives you some cash flow flexibility in making that choice. There's no prepayment penalty either. Whereas if you were to get a private loan, your payments would be due immediately. You guys find this helpful? It's, I know it's been about an hour and 15 minutes, so just let us know. I see everyone, mostly everyone's still on. We have two more financial aid questions that we haven't answered yet. And then, I'm gonna, then we're gonna zip into the admissions questions, which are um, not as numerous. And we got to get Pearl, you know, some rest here. So let just let us know in chat if you're finding this helpful. I'm, I know that this is not covered at most financial aid nights, so I hope you're finding this helpful. Um, okay, Pam, will applying early decision impact your chances of hmm. merit money? I, I'm going to answer that for both merit and and for need based money. It it really can't because you don't have this opportunity to negotiate and show other offers. Does it every time across the board? No, but um, I'm very cynical colleges are businesses they don't always give their highest and best offers so that early decision even though it may help somewhat getting into that college it may hurt you financially okay no matter what the college says okay last financial aid question i'll be retiring this is from lee i'll be retiring at the end of 2018 and then we will have only one income if we use a prior prior income on the fafsa we see the will we see the benefit of having a much lower family income? Well, or when will we? And the answer is not this year, but next year. Right, so for the calendar year that's twenty twenty one. Yeah. Okay. So it's two years from now. Yeah. In in, in this example, right. So, um, but then you'll have a special circumstance to say, I know. Right. I looked one way before, but the reality is far less rosy, and I have a much lower income now. Exactly. Okay. Good. Okay. Pearl, you ready to segue into some admission stuff? Sure. Are you ready? Um, My admissions guru. 
Yeah, I think I am. All right. Okay. Take it away. Um, I just want to make sure everyone's okay. Oh, good. We're getting a lot of thank yous. Risa said it's only been an hour. Okay. She caught me. Um, good. All right. You mean it seems longer? <laughs> no, no sure. it, is, it has been longer, actually, than an hour. But why split hairs? All right. So let me zip through these admissions questions, and then we'll try to get through as many of the bonus questions that came up in chat. Okay. Um, all right, Bonnie, which are the most select, so now I'm in admissions questions, which are the most selective schools that have rolling admissions? You know, generally the ones that have rolling admissions are the big state schools. So, um, I don't know off the top of my head, but I, I, I can tell you University of Florida is one that opens up really early each year. So, um, it's, it's mostly large public Ivy state schools. Michigan, I don't think has rolling, but they might. They used to. They, okay. Maybe they do. So, uh, and possibly, possibly Virginia, but that's another public Ivy, but I'm not really sure if they're rolling. Um, all right, question from Joe. There are a number of services that offer essay help, in your opinion, if the writer is following your general writing advice as provided in other seminars, is it really valuable to pay for one of these services? Um, you know, the, the what the hope is, is that if you, if you hire someone, and I think I actually talked to Joe, and, and unfortunately we couldn't take him on because we were just too, uh, too booked. Um, but I think that the hope is that the essay advisor is going to streamline things and, and make not only um, what you write about better, but what you don't write about also equally, uh, equally improved. Hmm. So, um, so it can be worth it, but your kids got to be motivated and willing to take the advice and all that too. And that doesn't always happen. So I, th I think in general, it's good, but you have to be really wary of who you're taking advice from. So hmm. in our case, you know, we have former college admissions officers, not like English teachers that, that help us uh, in our, in our kids. So that's something else to kind of weigh if it's going to be helpful or not. Yeah. Um, all right, Simi, I have a 10th grader who is not realizing that grades matter and is only working at 50% of his capacity. Any tips on how to motivate him? <laughs> okay. Um, That's a loaded question. Wish I had that answer. Yeah. <laughs> we have four kids. Kids. Yes. You guys hear that? Boys. Yeah. Um, no, it's funny. I, I actually, maybe it's not funny. I, I had a meeting this, uh, two days, three days ago with a client who's the mom of four kids. And this was the youngest kid. And I've worked one-on-one um, -on -one with, I think two or three of the other ones. And she brought the fourth one in, daughter. And it was so painfully obvious that she did not want to be there. Oh. Um, first of all, they were running late because she was in the shower. She was, so she passive aggressively took a shower right before she was supposed to leave. <laughs> At least she was clean. And then she got in there and she was like, <sighs> you know, and I said literally within, if it was a minute, yeah, that, I think that was a long time. I said, looks pretty obvious to me that you don't want to be here. Is that true? She's like, yeah. I said, you know, this process only works well when it's a two-way street. And I'm not, I'm not saying this to be judgy. It's just that, you know, we have kids every year that we coach who get into Harvard, Yale, Stanford, MIT, you know, whatever. Um, but it's not because we do the work for them or because we're forcing them to do something. It's more like if you're already a high-performing kid or like a high-performing athlete, like, Michael Phelps, who remember when he won his seventh medal and he just barely mm -hmm. finished like one one hundredth of a second, you know, um, before the the, yeah. the other the other guy. Like it's just a little edge that we can provide. So in her case, I said, "Don't waste your mom's money. You guys should just you know just don't don't hire me right now." I wish 
we could, uh, there was a magic motivation key. But what I always tell my own kids, boys, is um, the both. sports and all that. You know, I was, I was an athlete and a college athlete. We, we can't want it more than you do. Nope. So I, I wish there was some sort of magic key. You have to kind of pull them toward it, not push them on it. Sometimes when they start thinking about their future, which is one of the f first things we do with kids, um, and, and sort of walk them through what the possibilities are and where they stand, and they just they, they get a goal, they see something that they want, that um, that pulls them toward it. Right. But there's no pushing, there's no motivating a kid. And the right, exactly. Except as it's hard to make the abstract concrete, and a lot of times as you're going through the process to to just reiterate you want to have a lot of choices i always i that's what i've told the kids i you know i want you to work hard because i want you to be happy with the choices that you have the less hard you work the fewer choices you're going to have and the the harder you work the more not only more choices but the fewer regrets you will have when you are finding yeah. out where not only you but all your friends are getting into college yeah. And then you'll be able to, in, in a year or two, look back and feel like, wow, I did everything I should do. Parents too, by the way. I think I think the same thing goes for them. Sometimes they kind of hesitate, you know, should we get help for our kids or not? Or should I learn more or whatever? And there's always something that comes up. Oh, you know, I don't want him to take the SAT in, in such and such a month. He's not ready. Or I just, I can't find the time for it. You're going to run out of time at some point. And what I want for kids and parents is to, to feel like, when they're looking back at the process, they did everything they could. They gave their kids the best shot and the kids. I want them also to feel like, you know, I did everything I, I needed to do to be where I am right now. And I don't have any, you know, uh, any bad feelings or, or pain or regret. Okay. Now, Amy Salvatore, neighbor here at the studio, starting test prep. What is the best way to go? Tutor, classroom setting, or, um, or what? You know, Amy, we offer that just down the street. Um, no, I, I think it's, um, I think starting with a class is usually the best way because it's the most cost effective way to get a, um, a baseline, you know, get the yeah, fundamentals definitely. down. Whereas, um, in, in, if you're paying, if you go right to tutoring, you still have to learn that stuff anyway. So I think it's better to learn all the basics in a class setting. And then mm -hmm. if you need it, then which I think most kids benefit from, then move to private one-on-one -on -one tutoring. The problem though, and I'm telling you this, um, I'm telling everyone this, not, not just as a neighbor, um, but a parent and, uh, and someone in the test prep business also, is that it's very hard for kids to um, conform to a schedule because they're so overscheduled. They've got regular school work and they've got clubs, they've got sports, they have music, they have driver's ed, they have, you know, all this stuff. And when we run these classes, you know, we may have four or five kids in the class, but uh, our total enroll are six or seven, but usually only three or four show up because all the others are just missing stuff because they're just, they're just so busy. And it doesn't matter what's during the night, during the week or on the weekend or whatever, it's just hard. But I would start, I would definitely start with the class. Yeah. And you're welcome anytime. Um, Eric. Hi, Andy. Can you suggest a few Northeastern private universities that are more generous with merit scholarships? We're looking at liberal arts schools, not engineering colleges. So so the ones that offer merit are the ones that are not considered like the super elite, like Ivy or little Ivy type schools. So you know, not the eight Ivies, not Amherst, Williams, Wesleyan, that's where I went, Tufts. Not, those are all kind of need-based. But then um, if, if you go down, you know, half a notch, then you might be looking at schools like Syracuse or American or GW 
or you know schools on that tier those those are generally the the ones that um you're likely if if you meet the criteria um to that you'll get money from all right julia uh, i'm sorry michelle uh wait just julia or michelle julia real realistically speaking oh this is a great one great one how long should sat or act prep take sat or act i understand everyone's different if I have a ninth grader, should we start this summer or can we wait till the summer of 10th grade? Can you recommend any quality test prep courses in addition to your own? Well, no. I'm not at liberty contractually to, um, to recommend those. Yeah. Um, the best time to start is, in our opinion, the summer after 10th grade. Don't do it in ninth grade. It's kind of nuts. We do see some people start then, but in, in, you know, right before junior year, that's going to be the best time to start. Right. You also want to make sure that they have the substantive math materials, certainly, before they embark on the study. Okay. Um, which, you know, they, they can learn also on, you know, sometimes, yeah. but you want to, you don't want to start too early because that might be discouraging if they right. don't know everything. Um, so are there other, yeah, so, so our Twitter is great. Um, I think what really matters more than the content is the rapport that kids have with the, with the tutor. And um, of course, they have to do their work too. So, you know, I'm not a big. It's just, just sort of categorically, I'm not a big fan of the huge, you know, Huntington, Princeton Review, Kaplan. I don't usually like those alternatives because they tend to be just, you know, stuffing you into a system. And the tutors that they get to work for them are usually very low, comp, uh, low compensated because they're not really that qualified. They're just teaching from a system. So our our, our tutor. Marissa, way back in the day, worked from um, Kaplan, I think, and she was hired over the phone. You know, she, they, so they, yeah, wow. she, she had a, a good SAT score herself, so they hired her. So you have to, I, I would, you know, I would just be wary of the, I would favor more of the small to medium-sized companies or the individual tutors like, like yeah. us. And take, and listen to what they offer. Um, we had a, we have a financial aid forms prep client from uh, Louisiana who was, I was speaking to him the night before his daughter was taking the, the ACT for like the fourth time. And her scores were pretty, um, pretty much the same each time. I said, well, what is she doing to prepare? Well, you know, she's, she took one class and they basically just had her to do test after test after test. So, well, did they, did they diagnose what, where her air, where she's off, where she's going awry, where her mistakes are? Well, no. You mean you're just repeating the same mistakes over and over again? Like you got to look and see what's being offered. I know that our approaches, and this is just to get back to Amy, our neighbor. Um, A lot of airtime for Amy. Hybrids are a really good idea. I, I look at it as like the best prep for this is you you go big and then you get small. You start big and you learn like the lay of the land with the tests and you understand the general test taking strategies and pitfalls, et cetera, the tricks. Then as you work on that premise and take more and more tests and then now it doesn't stop there and then analyze and have analyzed for you. This is the part that should be provided. Analyze where you're going wrong so that you can improve those areas and then just hone in on those areas. You don't need practice in something you already mastered. 
that's not the best use of your time. No. You need to improve where you're going off, where you're going wrong. So anyway, that's what I would focus in on if I was looking for test prep. Cool. Okay. Moving along. This is an interesting one from Betsy. <laughs> um, she wants to know, Betsy wants to know, what are good woke up schools? What schools benefit students, usually boys? Sorry, but I'm a mother of three hoodlums and a college planner Funny. that wake up. So does that mean you're the mother of a college planner or that you are a <laughs> college planner also? That, that wake up junior year, meaning after first quarter junior year, they realize their sucky freshman sophomore first quarter junior grades yeah. aren't going to cut it. And they have six more quarters to get their GPA act together and study hard for the SATs this winter. Moderately selective schools that weigh junior in first semester, senior year, um, heavier in the process of GPA. Okay. So, you know, um, there, it's more schools than not that fit that, that criteria. So it's, it's kind of silly to come up with uh, just a list off the top of my head. But generally speaking, there's like 4,000 colleges in the country. There might be 2,000 that are, I think, four-year colleges. Only about 80 or 90 admit 50% or less. So the vast majority of those, you know, 1,900 colleges are looking for kids who show promise, who show upside. Um, if you're if you are if you're actually a college planner, you're probably familiar with the book Colleges That Change Lives or the website Colleges That Change Lives. That is full of outstanding and by the way, financially generous for the most part, small liberal arts colleges that specialize in um, developing and training and educating kids as opposed to, and this is a point I think that that book makes, as opposed to what the elite colleges do, they're in more of the acquisition of really high achieving kids, not the form formulation hmm. of high achieving kids. So I would recommend that as a resource. If you don't, I'm guessing you probably know about that already, but that, that, those are the types of schools that I would look at. Like, um, I don't know, Allegheny College is one that I would see a lot uh, of kids, kids applying to um, Emory and Henry. We just had a client yeah. get in there. Yeah. I don't know if you saw that. Yes, Elizabeth got in there. Yeah. Um, she, she applied to a lot of those schools, actually. Mm -hmm. A lot of those colleges that changed lives. Yeah. Schools. Yeah. Many that you would not have heard yeah. of. Hendricks in Arkansas is another one. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, all right, this one is from Joanne. Ooh, I like this one too. <laughs> if a college says interview optional, should we really make a trip up there? Um, yes. The answer is yes, unless that school does not care about whether you demonstrate interest or not. There's a website called collegedata.com. I encourage you to look at that because that will um, help you figure out whether uh, how much a college waits you're demonstrating interest, which includes visiting, okay? Um, all right, question from Dave. What are the best college options for a kid with ADHD that tries hard, wants to go to college, but struggles to maintain a 3.0 average uh, GPA? Are there any hidden gems for kids like my son? What are they, where should we look, et cetera? And, and will we get money? So um same answer as before definitely look at those colleges that change lives schools a lot of them tend to have very good services and real quick i have it right here because i look at this all the time um check this out with the let's see if you can see this k and w guide um this is for kids who learn differently the k and w guide to colleges for students with learning differences uh published by the princeton review I think I have the most recent edition, but that's a great place to start because it really, it really does vary from school to school, the level of services that they offer. 
Okay. Curly doing a great job. You, you have any, any, anyone in chat that you need to do while well, I'm uh, maybe you should do that because we got to wrap up. Yeah. Very time conscious. Nancy, for colleges that require all tests to be submitted, does it hurt the applicant if he or she does not do well on the initial tests? Can't tell you how many times I get that question. Yeah. So I'm glad uh, you asked. And I got that this morning, actually, from a client. The answer is there are very few colleges that look at every test you've ever taken. In the question, in the case of the client this morning, her son's interested in rice, um, not the food, the college. It's in Houston. It's, it is moist like rice because of the hurricane. But um, anyway, so I think MIT might be another one. I don't think it really matters if you submit multiple scores because generally speaking, colleges know that kids from affluent areas tend to take these tests multiple times period. So just assume that if you're submitting your best score or your super score, you know, the best components of each of each test that, you, that it took you three or four times to do it. What they're looking for, if they want to see everything you've ever taken, is whether you went from like a 22 in the ACT to a 32 or 36. You know, those, those are very high jumps. But if, you're, if your top score is a 34 and you went like 31, 33, maybe 30, then you hit the 34, that's fine. So it, it, won't, it won't penalize you at all. Pearl, what do you think? I agree with you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. So that was Nancy. I'll try and if I disagree. You know, know that. All right. You okay in chat? Uh, yeah. There are a lot of questions that I'm not addressing just yet. Okay. So, um, Frank, I have a 10th grader who's both an honor AP student and a talented cross-country runner. Uh, where do we start the college search? This is our first time around and have no clue where to start. Thank you very much. Okay. We have a lot of student athletes yeah. and a handful of runners and a race walker, actually. Um, <laughs> yes. So here's the deal. Whether you have an athlete or not, the way to start, I believe, is you start with the end in mind. Get a handle on the types of majors and careers where you can make a living that would be suitable. We have a process for that. I definitely cannot get into that here, but it involves a career counselor and an assessment and all that. That's the first part. And then we back into a set of colleges for more sort of traditional college, you know, uh, considerations like is the school going to give money is it on the west coast or the east coast and and then also how do we get in and if you're an athlete that can help you get in help me get into my college um because the, the basketball coach said hey i get five guys you can be one of them if you want to go early decision here and i was like okay so um <laughs> that's just not really an exaggeration so um but but the, you know you're going to college you're not going to college to run. You're running to go to college to help you get into a certain school. So we start with the end in mind and then back into it. And, um, you know, again, a plug for our inner circle membership. Is that still available when we post? It, just... it will end soon. Okay, so it's still posted. So so if you are interested in our services, you know, that, that's the best way to do it. Um, and then we'll schedule a call and then we can talk about other, other stuff if you want. Uh, or a meeting, depending on if you're local or not. Okay, Carl. If your child has the opportunity to attend college, has a co-op program for engineering, is it worth a potential higher cost than attending a college that is less expensive without the co-op? Yeah, good question. I would say no. Uh, there's no evidence, especially with STEM careers, including engineering, that where you go to college affects how much money you're going to make. If that's how you're asking me, is it worth it? That's how I think about college return on investment. So. Um, probably not. You can replicate the internships and other benefits of a co-op program at most reputable 
uh, liberal arts engineering colleges? So I would say no. A rare decisive answer from Andy. All right, question from M. Mm. 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 How's that gonna transcribe? <laughs> <laughs> How accurate is Naviance in predicting academic fit? And what have those outliers done to get in with much lower scores? What does my child need to do to get on top of good grades? Mm. Mm. Okay. Here's the interesting thing. I don't know how, I don't think anyone knows how Naviance is uh, in terms of accuracy because they don't publish that information as far as I know. If anyone else knows, uh, mention that in chat. Um, we don't use Naviance it's because so of its flaws. It's, it's so odd. Okay, so we don't use it because Naviance, again, looks at just other kids from your high school and only grades and scores. We use a different software which factors in some of the stuff that you're alluding to in your question, those outliers. So you may have a clump of people who got into a certain school with you know certain GPA and certain uh, test scores, and then you have someone who should not have gotten in but somehow got in. Well, that person could be, and I'm just thinking about our software, an underrepresented minority or a recruited athlete or an international student or you know something else. A legacy. Yeah. So yeah. so so you can't rely on Naviance for specifically that person. And we have this inner circle membership where you get access to our software and coaching on how to use it. So that's why you know that's uh, a great segue. That's why we we use we swear by our software, which when um, Don Betterton, who is the guy who's on the admissions committee of Princeton for thirty years, he again a couple of weeks ago he told me when he back tested this year. It was roughly ninety percent accurate. They back tested every year, so nothing's totally accurate, you know. But um, I don't. I think Naviance has a pretty big inherent design flaw. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. <laughs> um, we'd love to have you in the inner circle family. Mm. Um, Trisha, are there good college lists to help narrow down research? I know U.S. News and World Report does one, but what if your child is looking for a more specialized program? I um, I wish there were. I, I rely on like five or six different databases depending on the kids, including U.S. News. Try Fisk's, Fisk's Guide to College. I think that's pretty good. So is the Princeton Review book. I, I would try those out, two others just to round it out. I use other tools, but um, I think those are a good way to get started. Um, Leslie, I don't have specific questions right now, but I always learn something. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what, Eli, what are your thoughts on the importance of the writing section of the SAT or ACT? Very, very, very unimportant. The average scores of kids at Ivy League colleges on the writing samples are really mediocre. And in fact, I predict maybe next year that they're going to do away with them because most colleges just blow them off. So, um, I, I would take it at least once and I wouldn't get crazy. I wouldn't keep retaking it. Very unimportant. All right, Rich. My son has a 101 GPA and a 34 on the ACTs. What are his chances of getting money from a private school versus an out-of-state state school? Um, is there a significant difference? Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about uh, his chances are very high de depending on how he stands compared to the incoming cohort of kids that he's competing with. But he should be able to get money from both types of schools easily um, with those credentials. Thanks for your question and humble bread. No, I'm kidding. Thanks for the question. Um, Be Becky, how can my daughter get out-of-state schools to pay tuition and room and board? She has a 35 in the ACT and I'm waiting GPA 4.0. Are you guys parents? Is it? Are they? Are you guys married to each other? Um, 
So yeah, same same answer. It's because it has to do with how she looks compared to the rest of the kids that she's competing with. Pam, our high school, this is a good one. Our high school's ranked. If you graduate from a high ranked high school, does that help you get a leg up on college admissions? It's not so much they're ranked, but they each each high school has a, a profile that um, each admissions officer in that territory is familiar with or can easily get familiar with, but most of the time they already know about the high school. So they know that, um, you know, a, a, an A at one, uh, A average at one school is not, yeah, is, is not as impressive as a B plus. Are you okay? Yeah. Right. I'm boring you? <laughs> no. <laughs> as a B plus average at a, right. at a different school? Um, I am boring you. No, no, no. Okay. So, um, uh, so that's kind of baked into the admissions process. Um, it's it's you know, sometimes they they know like taking honors from such and such teacher at one high school is different than taking AP from a different teacher at the same high school. Mm. It's, it's they can they get surprisingly deep on that. Okay, Esther, Esther. What is better in ninth grade, getting a low 80s in honors geometry or low 90s, high 80s in regular geometry? I would get high 90s in honors geometry. <laughs> okay. You, it's, it's on one hand, you want to show rigor and challenge yourself, but you got to get great grades. So um, I would challenge myself. I would always challenge myself and pull the grades up from low to high uh, 80s. But not at the cost of your grades. I mean, don't get low 80s. You're, get not, high 80s. you're not better off shoving your kid in a bunch of APs and honors yeah. if they're going to struggle. I would say you want to get at least a B plus in honors, not low 80s. So, so I'm agreeing with Pro. Um, but if you have an opportunity to take an honors or an AP and you choose not to, that gets weighed against you. Uh, George, the ACT company suggests that in their something, something, something workshop for counselors and educators, that more merit money scholarships will be available to the student through submitting the student's ACT score than if they submitted their SAT score. Do you agree with this? No, I don't. No. Uh, colleges, there's so much wiggle room. And if you look at the college, one of the things about our, our software, by the way, is that it, it helps you identify colleges' um, criteria for merit money. And so it takes you right over to those criteria. And in most cases, there's a lot of wiggle room, but they acknowledge both SAT and ACT scores. So it's either an ACT of 32 or higher or an SAT combined of, you know, 1400 or, or higher. I think colleges take both. I don't think there's an advantage taking the ACT. Two more admissions questions here. Thank you for staying with us. We still have a lot of people on and we got some more questions to get to. Have you answered any in chat or no. you're just kind of saving them? Okay. You are a saver. Um, Gary, do most colleges, and this is a three-part question, so I'm going to just pick one randomly. Do most colleges look at a student's unweighted GPA or weighted GPA when making admissions decisions? The answer is that they, most the competitive schools, they will just calculate their own GPA based on their own grid, so their own matrix. So um, they care about the actual grades. They care about the number of AP classes. So that's sort of like a an indirect way of saying they're going to do their own weighting, but um, that's, you know, that's the best answer I can give. So they look at everything, whatever this, you know, some schools don't weight, some do, some schools rank, most of them do not rank. You know, there's all sorts of, it's kind of hard for a lot of admissions officers to figure out how talented kids are um, who are applying to college, especially because of all the glowing re, uh, artistic guidance, license, guidance counselor, um, uh, recommendation, recommendation yeah. letters, and the pay to play, you know, enrichments and, and summer programs and stuff. So 
Um, that's why they take matters into their own hands. All right, Kendra, is it easier to transfer, and this is the last admissions question before we go to the lightning round. Is it easier to transfer into a college that you don't get admitted to at a later date? The answer yeah. is if you do really well at the intermediate stop along the way. And they are a school that has a significant transfer program. I can tell you there are two schools. I'll just take Penn and Cornell uh, that are Ivy school that are Ivy League. Cornell takes a lot of transfers and Penn may take one or two per year. Depends you, on the school. You were too good for Penn. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's go to the questions. Why don't you ask me these questions while I hydrate yeah all right <coughs> excuse me all right try and go in order and if if we've addressed them i'm going to move them on i may undress them oh. okay so from colleen so with the earlier filing date of fafsa the colleges won't answer earlier than march or april it depends um, my point was is that it just varies. There's no uniformity between the schools. Yep. So you may hear very soon if you've applied early action and they're inclined to tell you soon, and you may not. So, all right, Scott, the schools will notify you of financial aid award package. Will they also tell you if you qualify for nothing from them? <laughs> well, the good news is when you file financial aid forms, each school is triggered to prepare a financial aid award letter for you. And if you don't qualify for any need-based aid, you will still have an award letter provided you that may be entirely made up of loans. But if you file financial aid forms and you get admitted to that school, they will give you a financial aid award letter. Okay, Michelle, exactly what exactly is work-study? Not sure how to answer this question on the FAFSA. Okay, well, work-study. Well, what's the question? Will, do you want work-study? Do you, do you want to be considered for work-study? Say yes. Say yes, because it shows an attitude of willingness. And you and, can turn it down. And you can say no, is right. Work-study means you work at a job. I, was, I had a job. I was the weight room supervisor at, at Wesleyan. Um, I just sat there, and you know, the running back was before me. The volleyball setter was after me. But um, you just worked there, and... Um, it used to be most colleges would pay you, and now it's uh, most of the time it's just deducted. Whatever you should have been paid gets deducted from the uh, bill, the tuition bill. But you don't have to do it. This is a very important question from Holly. If the FAFSA was filed in early October when we did not know which schools were being applied to, do we need to go back into the FAFSA and add all of the schools we've sent applications to? Yes, absolutely yes. If you want to be considered for financial aid at those schools, yes. Make sure that you are always cross-referencing your financial aid applications list with the schools you've actually applied to. Very important. So many times people forget to do that, and then yep. they get into the college, and they're like, okay, where's my offer? Right. And they're like, uh, you never applied. Right. Yeah. It's a long, winding year. Yeah. It's a long and winding year. Many twists and turns. Yes. Okay. Ups and downs. Um, Tears. So, um, Colleen, work studies granted. Uh, work study is granted money if eligible. That's right. If you don't mind student working, say yes. You can. Okay, that was advice. 
Uh, Rafa, but even if you do Rafa mind, Lina. I would still say yes, and then later say no, thanks. If a student works the summer before the senior year, will that affect financial aid? Uh, if Sophomore possibly, yeah. um, if it will affect sophomore year of college, right? It it will affect in the year that the income tax is reported and when that base year is used. Well, not that much, though. I mean, how no, much? How much can, can a kid earn? Doesn't mean you shouldn't work. You should work. Yeah. Stephen, uh, you said that the age affects the way FAFSA considers savings. Is this true for both retirement savings and 401k investments, such as mutual funds that are non-retirement? Um, the answer is yes, your age does, but fractionally so. I would not overstate the importance of your age. Well, and No, no, no. I, th I think the actually the, the question is a little off because okay. your, retirement, your retirement savings don't, don't penalize no. you at all. So right. you can you can be you can retire at age forty or age eighty, and either way, it's it's going to be the same because your retirement assets are exempt. Right, that is absolutely true. I mean, it's not it's not off it's not a bad question. It's just the the underlying premise uh, is incorrect. Continue, Jordan. You mentioned Jordan. in your seminar that primary residence, retirement assets, annuities, and insurance products are exempt assets. So do um, I ignore those questions in the FAFSA? <clears throat> you answer the questions the right way on the FAFSA, which asks about assets. It says, here's what's included, here's what's not included. And those are the four things that the directions say to not include. However, if you're applying to the, a school that requires a CSS profile, the rules are a little bit different. Uh, if, our, if our EFC is $70,000, does that basically mean we won't get any aid? It basically means that you're not likely to qualify for need-based aid but it does not mean that you're not going to get any aid. Could mean that you could benefit from some planning to lower your EFC. That's mm -hmm. possible. I think one out of three, one out of three clients, uh, families that we see, we, we can help that way. Uh, it's not because we choose them. It's just because of how it tends to work. Okay. I think you've answered this um, earlier, but my Risa, my son has been working for a few years and has saved up about $5,000. Should I transfer it out of his name? Transfer it to Pearl. <laughs> yeah, that'll penalize you about a thousand bucks of lost eligibility. I wouldn't get nuts about it, but you might as well. Why not? Okay. Um, Jordan, I noticed on the FAFSA application, it asks for amount in checking savings account as of the date submitting the FAFSA application. Oh. Application. Are these questions mandatory to answer? And if you leave it blank, <sighs> Will it allow you to submit the application? Well, you if blank. you leave it blank, you've you've basically said zero. And if that's not true, I don't think you can leave it blank. I think you can leave an asset figure. Not. If you leave it blank, it's going to come up as a zero. Okay, the default is zero. And if that's zero. not true, liar, you are going out of, and submitting a federal form. I'll just leave that falsely. There. You're falsifying information to the federal government. If you can live with yourself. That's fine, but I refer you to Mr. Michael Cohen. No, uh, you, you can't lie in a federal form. Don't do that. Um, Julianne, is attending a private Catholic high school help? Does it help or hinder when you are applying to Catholic colleges versus non-denominational? Most of the time, yes. They, the, the Jesuit Holy 12 colleges um, tend to seek out kids who have uh, had a Jesuit education in secondary school. It's a very, very long, but 
I'll read it. Okay. Rick, hi, Andy. I was late to hi. the party, and I'm not sure if you answered this question or not. So here I go again. One burning question. My kid is applying to Yale Engineering because of the specific coursework, coursework offered as super SAT scores and a GPA, a super GPA, president of this and that, captain of this and founded that, good essays and applied early action. Done the legwork and met coaches and professors, spoke to them long enough to reference them in essays. In other words, this kid is qualified, but I know how competitive it is and just qualifying does not get you ditty. A potential boost might be that I know a trustee of Yale and several loyal, i.e. generous alumni, and I know them well enough to ask for a letter of support. Thus, my question, does a letter from trustees or loyal alumni help or hinder in this effed up world and who should go into it? Who should it go to? Thank you, Rick. Um, generally speaking, those things don't really work, but there's always exceptions. It depends on the amount of juice that the recommendor has. So um, I think it's worth trying. I wouldn't get carried away with asking five different people. One of my favorite sayings that I've heard from the admissions officers who work for us is thick file, thick applicants. Meaning if you have to pad the file with a bunch of extraneous, superfluous um, recommendations, there's something going on there to compensate. That's not the case with you, but they don't really read them after a while. They just kind of roll their eyes at them. But you know, I would. I don't think there's really any downside to to doing that if they're legitimate, you know, good connections. So give it a shot with one or two max. Okay, Donna, IB diploma. Does it make a difference to colleges? Yeah, because uh, it, it shows rigor. Yeah. You know, so so there's the grades and scores are very important, but the quality of the classes, how hard you push yourself, how much of a learner you are. Um, if you took a lot of either AP or IB, you know, you maxed out at what the school had to offer. Very strong. It, it helps a lot. Okay. Uh, Patricia, you missed my question. Sorry I didn't get to ask this in the forum. If your child is a freshman in college who didn't receive need-based aid but did receive a merit scholarship, do you have to submit a FAFSA each year for them to receive their merit money? Maybe. You need to ask the the school itself you need to talk to financial aid at the school and find that out yeah some schools are, some schools don't require it many do depends on the school yep. yep okay so now i do see that those were the ends of our questions but i do see that there were a few additional ones put into the chat so um well, we still got yeah a couple yeah still got a bunch of people on so let's keep all going. right sure all right, You're George. George, thanks for your response on the SAT versus the ACT. FYI, the ACT College and Career Readiness Workshop, which I was online with this morning, did actually claim that the SAT, the ACT, has stats that indicate that more merit aid was given to students with ACT scores. Did we do this one already? Well, that's a follow-up. It's yeah, I bet more kids took the ACT also. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a very, it's very interesting. Yeah. Okay. Should I continue this one? Go to the next one. Um, I guess I'll continue. Tracy, if my husband retired in July of this year, is that something we should tell the schools? He does does get a government pension. Is that something that is counted in income? Yes, it is. Yeah, you don't have to tell them that. Um, it'll be picked up, right? Isn't that reported? Yeah, on it their... just falls on a different line of your tax return the than w does your W two. Yeah. Mm hmm. 
Okay. Um, Stacy, while you answered about submitting multiple ACTs, but what if there's a really bad subscore, example, a 25 in math, when your other math subscores are 30? Will this one test be a problem? I'd be superstitious enough to not submit that. Um, how did you find out what schools require oh. the CSS form from Tracy? Tracy, each school on its site will tell you in their financial aid section what forms are required for that school. And just to everybody, that is not an optional thing. If a school says it requires the FAFSA and the CSS profile, that's not a choice being offered to you. It's a, those are the two forms you should fill out if you want to be considered for the maximum aid at that school. Okay, and then we have um, Amy. I have 529s for my two children. The older one is a senior. Do I have to include the money from both on their 529s in the FAFSA and CSS? Yes. They're asking for the total amount in the family. And the CSS profile asks about money in other kids' names who are 19 or younger. That's right. I think it was Amy. Yes, it could be. Yeah. Stacey, you're welcome. Okay. Are we through? I think we're through. You I think sure? that's a wrap. You don't want mm -hmm. to do an all-nighter? No. Okay. All right. So, uh, well, congratulations to Pearl for staying awake. She's been up very early, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Um, thank you guys very much for participating in our, um, I guess it's probably the last college Q&A that we're going to be doing for, for a while. Um, we hope you found uh, it helpful. Yeah. Hope you found it helpful. Uh, we appreciate it. You know you've had other things to do potentially tonight so um we we uh, really value that you spend time with us and if you have any questions at all about you know uh, anything we talked about or our uh, our membership or anything like that you can just shoot us an email um we put that in chat vip mm -hmm. at andy .com. and um and thanks thanks for joining us okay i'm gonna hang up now Bye, Bye, guys. Hi, this is Andy Lockwood. Don't forget to visit our website, LockwoodCollegePrep.com, for some more free, valuable information on how you can multiply your chances of admission to your dream colleges and qualify for thousands or tens of thousands of dollars of fat, juicy scholarships along the way. Visit LockwoodCollegePrep.com for information on our free upcoming workshops and webinars and to download a copy of our number one best-selling book, How to Pay Wholesale for College. That's LockwoodCollegePrep.com. Bye-bye.